Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning. One new uh challenge you if you've not availed yourself to these or not received a, a, a copy of it. Uh, we still have copies of these available out on the table except for this one. This is a devotional that we made available for you. I hope you've been reading it. It's a really good short daily devotional, but it really has a, a, a good uh, focus, I think, in the direction of Christmas. Uh, then we've got this that's a prayer guide. Uh, to go along with our missions offering at Christmas. So there are plenty of those that are still out there on the table if you have not received one. And then there's a larger book that we have that talks about engaging, equipping, and going uh, through the International Mission Board. And we still have those out there. And, uh, guys, if you have not gotten one, we don't want it just to be a resource that's there and then thrown away, you know, at the end of the Christmas season. So please uh, pick some of those up if you have not received them yet. Our Christmas series that we're doing is talking about the the gift of of heaven, the gift of Christmas uh, that was sent down. Of course, that's Jesus, and how that ought to impact the the given attitude and actions in our lives. Uh, that's what the focus of this series has been about. Uh, our Christmas offerings, most of you probably already know, unless you've not been here in a couple of weeks. Uh, our goal is ten thousand uh, dollars. Of that, we'll go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You're probably going to hear a little bit more about Lottie Moon today than, than some of you may have ever heard before. Uh, and then uh, 30% uh, of whatever we have come in, uh, which if we get 10000 our goal or beyond that, will be at least $3,000 going to the Guatemala mission trip. Uh, and you'll also hear more about that this morning in the, uh, in the message. Um, I've got a, a little bit of a uh, concern, I think, that uh, over the years, you know, we in, in, in Baptist churches and uh, we, we just kind of get used to saying uh, Lottie Moon Christmas offering and, uh, and just assume everyone knows what that means. And that may not be the case at all. So the message will be a little bit different today. Uh, we're, we're talking about the who and the why, uh, both of, of Lottie Moon and the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and, and Guatemala. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you some about the who as far as who Lottie Moon was. And then from there, uh, Chuck Campbell uh, is up here with his wife, Lisa, sitting on the front. They've been coming to uh, uh, Day 3 Church and, uh, and everything. He's our new strategist here in the area uh, for the Baptist State Convention. Uh, and he's going to share with you a little bit about the why uh, of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And then Brandon Brandy is going to come up and uh, share with you in more detail uh, about Guatemala and let you see some faces and some of the ministry uh, that takes place there also. So, uh, uh, guys, if you, if you would stand with me, I'm going to read a verse. Like I said, I'm going to talk to you about who, who was Lottie Moon uh, for a few minutes. And uh, let's read a verse of Scripture. And, and this is an important verse that God used uh, in, in Lottie's life. I'll say more about that in just a few moments uh, to call her to missions. The Bible says this in John 4, verse 35. Jesus is talking. It's on the other side of him having the exchange with the woman at the well. And uh, Jesus says this, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? In other words, it's like it's not harvest time yet. You're kind of putting it off. You're saying, well, it's four months still, still off. Then he tells them, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you speak to us today, that you burden our hearts all the more toward our Christmas giving, and that you use what we give to spread the gospel across this world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I said a moment ago, this verse comes on the heels of Jesus having this exchange with this woman at the well. Uh, most of you know that story. She was not squeaky clean. Guess what? We're not either. Amen. We all have our issues. We all have our background, and, and that's who she was. Uh, and the disciples had gone off to find some food, and Jesus engages this woman in a discussion. And as he engages her in a discussion, it leads to her coming to the awareness of who Jesus is. And she leaves, and she runs into the village, and she brings other people out, saying, I want you to come and see this person that's told me everything that I've ever done. 
uh, and they they come out there to uh, to see Jesus. Uh, during this exchange, during this event also, the disciples who've been gone away for food, uh, they come back uh, bringing food with them. And it's like Jesus isn't hungry, you know, and they can't quite figure that out. And and Jesus even tells them, hey, I've got something to feed on. I've got something to eat uh, that, that you're not aware of right now, that you're not understanding. And, and guys, if you've ever been used by God to change somebody else's life, you understand what that is. That, that brings fulfillment in your life. And Jesus was letting the disciples know, I'm not really hungry. There's something else that satisfied me right now in this moment. But then he extends his challenge to the disciples. More or less, he's saying, don't keep putting it off. Don't say, let's wait a while, and then there'll be a harvest. He said, what you need to do is wake up. You need to lift your eyes up. You need to look around and understand that people are ready to be harvested now. That's what he was telling his disciples. And guys, the same thing is true in our day and time because there's still people whose lives have been ravaged by sin. There's still people whose lives have been impacted by their poor choices, just like that lady at the well. And they're ripe for harvest. They need to hear some hope. They need to understand how they can receive forgiveness. So even in our day and time, maybe even more so in our day and time, we need to be willing to do what Jesus said. We need to lift our eyes up, look around, understand something. The harvest is ready now. God used that verse in the life of Lottie Moon. She was a young teacher at the time when she heard a message on that verse. And God used it to prick her heart, change her career, call her to missions, And she went and she invested her life in China until she died. She made a trip home once because of her health, was needing to make a trip home because of her health. It didn't work out, but I'll share more with you in a minute. But I want you to understand a little bit more today of what we mean, why we have this Christmas offering called Lottie Moon. Some of you might not even know that was a person. (laughs) What do you mean Lottie Moon? Is that some phase of the moon or something? You know, like that, it's taking place. It's a person. And I want you to hear more about her story. Let me give you some of her background to begin with. She was born Charlotte Moon. Lottie became her nickname, December 12, 1840. She was born to a wealthy family. She could have probably done anything, had anything, on a Virginia plantation. The plantation where her family lived and owned was close to the estate of Thomas Jefferson. She developed that nickname Lottie later on. She was one of seven children, and they lost their father in 1852. So she had experienced this loss in her life. So had her brothers and sisters. And even though the father was not on the scene, they they were influenced. All those children were influenced by the faith of their mother. She was educated, as were all the children, since they were well-to-do. She was educated very well, and all the rest of them were. At the age of 14, she entered Virginia Female Seminary at the age of 14. At the age of 17, she was in Albemarle Female Institute. Now, now listen to this. In fact, when it was years ago, she became proficient in Greek, Latin, Italian, French, Spanish, and Hebrew. Anybody else can challenge that today? By the time she graduated, a famous Southern Baptist pastor who also happened to be the second president of Southern Seminary said this about Lottie Moon. She's the most educated woman in the South. That's what he said about her. But even though she had a strong mind, she had a sinful heart. Anybody else ever dealt with that before? All of us do. None of us are perfect. All of us fall short. Amen, of the glory of God. So when she went off to school, even though she had been influenced by the faith of her mother, when she got off of school, as happens many times in our culture today still yet, her heart started straying. And she really became not interested in the things of God or going to church or anything like that. The pastor I mentioned a minute ago, Rodas, wound up preaching a series of meetings close to the school that she was attending at the time, John Broadus. And her friends kept on at her. 
you need to come and go with us to church. You need to come here, John Brawl, to speak. And she kept refusing because she wasn't interested at that point in time at all. Finally, she agreed to go. And the only reason she was going to go was this. She wanted to go so she could mock everything that happened to her friends. And instead, what happened that night was this. The date that it took place that she went and she listened was on December the 21st, 1858. And God convicted her of her sin, and she trusted Christ as her Savior. And her life was changed from that point on. She was preparing to be a teacher, so she moved to Kentucky to begin with to be a teacher there near Danville, Kentucky. While she was there, she met two former missionaries to China. And that kind of started influencing her life. After she'd been in Kentucky for a while, her and a friend of hers moved to a town in Georgia. And while they were there in this small town in Georgia, they were going to start a school for young ladies there in Carsville, Georgia. During that time, she started giving on a regular basis to the Foreign Mission Board. That's what we call the International Mission Board today. But she started sending funds away to help support missionaries uh, out of her own personal uh, account. Uh, not long after that, they had a change in, in the Southern Baptist approach to missions, and they started approving young ladies who were not married, single ladies, to go and serve on the mission field. Before, they wouldn't do that. You had to be married, go with your husband. But they had a change take place to where she could go. And about that time, her sister, her older sister, had received a call to go to mission. She went through the Southern Baptist Convention, got approved, and then she was sent to China herself. Her sister's name was Edmona. Edmona started contacting Lottie, saying, well, why don't you leave and come to China? There, there's not so many people that are willing to do that, and other people can do what you're doing in America, so why don't you come here? And along about that same time, while her sister was sending the invitation she heard a sermon on John chapter 4, verse 35 that I alluded to a moment ago. Her pastor, whose name was R.B. Hedden at the time, was preaching this text. And he was giving an appeal for more people to be willing to go, more willing to, people to be willing to answer the call to, to, to go and go to missions. And God convicted her during the sermon on the verse that we read a moment ago to be willing to go to the to the mission field. So she started taking steps to, to go. When she told the girls that she was teaching in Georgia and their family members found out that, that she was leaving, and by the way, her friend that went there was going to leave and go with her also, that she was leaving for missions, here's what some of the good old Southern people said to her. It's a waste of such excellent women on the uncaring heathen. Why go to China when these good southern girls in Georgia need education so desperately? Isn't that tragic? You may be thinking, how in the world can somebody say something like that? Those uncaring heathen, why send anybody over there? And yet sometimes maybe by our attitudes and actions we say the same thing. The world we're not willing to, to do that. But she remained steadfast with her call, and she wound up being appointed as a missionary by the Foreign Mission Board, like I said a moment ago. That's now called the International Mission Board on July 7th, 1873. A whole lot faster turnaround back then than it is now. Amen, brother. <laughs> so she was commissioned July 7th, 1873, left September the 1st, 1873 at the age of 32, and after a lot of Tough days at sea and a brief stop in Japan to learn more about the language. Lottie finally landed in Tengchao, China, and that was her home for the next 39 years. So let me tell you a little bit about her mission work there in the area she was serving. One Presbyterian leader had said this, there's no one person, whether it be a lay person or a pastor or clergy, that can go and serve in this area unless they have a definite clear call from God because it's just too difficult. It was a tough place to serve. There was a lot of difficulties that would take place, a lot of, a lot of friction and hostilities that would take place there. 
She started out in that area that was surrounded by millions of people in villages where the gospel had never gone, and she started out teaching children. That was her inroad into that community. But she didn't want to just keep teaching children. She wanted to be involved in evangelism. So eventually she left from that village. That's where she worked out from. Most of the time she lived there in Teng Chow and would work out from there. She went to another village called Ping Tu. Which, by the way, let me give you a, a, a different mindset of what size the village was. In that day, Pin Chu had the 12th largest population in the world. That give you, we would call it a city today. But that's how many people were living in that area that had not heard the gospel. She started serving there in 1889. The first church was planted there and baptisms began. Over the next 20 years, she herself would be personally involved in winning 1,000 converts to Christ. One of the persons that she led to Christ wound up being a, 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 a famous evangelist in northern China. His name was Li Shou Ting, and he personally baptized over 10,000 people in northern China. And she had led him to Christ and discipled him and, and led him in Bible studies. One of her largest contributions was what she wrote to missions because she didn't really care what she said to anybody. She would just tell it like it was. She was four foot three, this little bitty fireball of a woman. And she would write things back to Southern Baptist churches and to the Southern Baptist Convention and to the, the foreign mission board that, that she didn't care how they took it. She just was trying to tell them the truth. Here's one of the things she wrote back to them. It's odd, she wrote, that a million Baptists of the South can furnish only three men for all China. I wonder how these things look in heaven. And remember, it's a different time, different phraseology yeah, that she's using they certainly look very queer in China. Strange thing <laughs> that we've got that many people, that many Baptists in the South, and you're only sending three people to, to China. It was a difficult place to serve. By, eight, by 1877, of the eight new missionaries that came to China after Lottie did, three were dead, three resigned due to emotional breakdowns, and one resigned over a doctrinal issue. So that meant instantly, even though they sent more people, they needed more people. So she sent in a request for more people. And here's her second note to the foreign mission board. Why did one million Southern Baptists only have one man and three women witnessing to 30 million souls? A Christian should ask himself not if it's his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay home. That ought to be the question because clearly the Great Commission gives a call to go. There were times of persecution that would happen there where she was serving in China. She heard about some families being persecuted at one time and she rushed to the scene and she got between the persecutors and the people of that church. And she more or less told them this, this little four foot three woman. If you're going to destroy this church, you're going to have to kill me first. Jesus died for us and I'm willing to die for him was more or less the quote that she gave to them. Guys, let me wrap up a little bit more about her story because this is part of it that I really want you to, to hear. At the turn of the century, there was widespread poverty and disease and devastation in China. In 1903, Lottie was 63 years of age. She had been in China ever since she first arrived. And because of her health, she needed to return to America for some rest and to get her health better, but she refused to stay and she returned. In, 19, or in 1911, they, they had an extreme famine and poverty happening in China. She sent back a letter to the foreign mission board asking for more funds and more help because of all the people that were starving and the conditions in China. And the foreign mission board sent her back a note and said that we're sorry, but we're in debt. We cannot send any more funds. Lottie Moon then made the decision to take out all her personal savings. 
take all of her income and use it to feed the Chinese that were around her. She not only did that, she made the conscious decision to stop eating herself and give all of her food to her Chinese neighbors. A little while after that, she sent for another missionary by the name of Dr. Adams to come and write her will out for her. And when Dr. Adams came into her small house, he found that she weighed 50 pounds. Because she had given her food away to her Chinese neighbors so they could eat and so they would know the love of Christ and so that she could keep telling them about Jesus. They put her on a boat trying to get her out of the country, sent her back to America to see if they could somehow save her life and restore her health. Before the boat could leave the port of Kobe, Japan, she died on Christmas Eve. Before she died on that boat, some other things had happened. They sent another missionary with her, another lady missionary to accompany her and care for her on the journey. While they were there in the boat, not having left port yet, she whispered to the other missionary, Jesus loves me. They are weak, but he is strong. Then she asked the other missionary with her if she would sing a hymn called Simply Trust in Every Day. It sounds like that's what she was doing. In her life, she had simply trusted every day. And then throughout the night, every now and then, she would rouse up a little bit. And she would whisper in a weak, frail voice, we are weak, but he is strong. By morning, she could no longer speak. Whenever the other missionary would walk near to check on her, she would just point up. And then later on that morning, she was able to rise up just a little bit. And she gave a, a Chinese symbol that they show for a greeting and fondness there with a fist inside of her hand. And she raised up her hands like that. And she put her hands down and she died. She gave her life for China. She gave her life so that others might hear the gospel. That's why there's a Lottie Moon Christmas offering. She had written to the Women Missionaries Union was called by a different name at that time and encouraged them, let's take one week and let's take up an offering for missions in our churches and have a week of prayer for missions. It was on the other side of her death. And by the way, right after she died, in the year that after she died, in the region where she was working, over 2,500 people came to faith in Christ and were baptized. But because of that letter that she wrote and because of her dedication, the Foreign Mission Board established what we call the Lightning Christmas Offering in 1918. This year is the 101st anniversary of that missions offering being established. The people in China so mourned when she died. And they would ask, when is the heavenly book visitor going to see us again? Oh, how she loved us. Wouldn't you like to have demonstrated your faith so much that people call you the heavenly book visitor? That's how they viewed her. That's why we give to this Christmas offering. And at day three, instead of just calling it Lottie Moon, we send the majority of what comes in, but we also do other work, other targeted things that we do. And this year, once again, it's Guatemala. I, I'm just giving us a challenge today, and I'll come back to the invitation. 
if a lot of men could starve to death for the gospel, we could do without a few meals to give more, couldn't we? My, my f- friend Chuck, uh, he's going to come and share with you more about the why of the Lottie Moon Mission offering. Thank you, Pastor. And uh, as we continue to look at the importance of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, uh, we're going to look at a very practical side, the, the side of why. Why should we give? Why should we give to Lottie Moon? A lot of us may or may not realize that close to 60% of this offering covers the budget needs of the international mission boards to do global missions. And the International Mission Board sends missionaries across the globe to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to those who have never, never heard. And all of the gifts of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering go directly to support the work of those missionaries. And uh, there are many needs of missionaries uh, in other countries besides the basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter that oftentimes we don't even think about, like the need uh, for vehicles and upkeep and teaching and training resources, phones, uh, schooling for children and personal training, just to, to name a few. All of this to help to continue uh, the work of the Great Commission. But as we think about the why, uh, I thought about the, the great why of the Great Commission of Jesus Christ, where he charged us and challenged us and commanded us to go and to all of the nations. He said, go, uh, therefore. And, and, and what, was his, what was his charge? To make disciples of how many nations? All the nations. He did not leave out uh, a one in that charge. And the word nations is the word where we get uh, the word ethnos and uh, the word that derives from ethnicity are all people groups. And so the charge is to go to all people groups. And sometimes we uh, don't realize there's over 16,500 people groups. And yes, in 2,000 years, we've put a significant dent in this. But as I was going back and even preparing uh, for today, I wanted to see the, the, the numbers that are out. And the number of unreached is still 42% which is about 6,700 unreached people groups. That means there's less than a 2% uh, evangelical presence trying to reach these unique uh, groups of people, culture, languages, and nations. And also uh, in the unreached, unengaged peoples, and this is staggering, that there's over 3,200 unreached, unengaged. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, these are people groups that have never ever heard the name Jesus, let alone the gospel. So it's a phenomenal work and need for us to be mobilizing, sending, and moving out to the nations as Christ commanded and charged us to do. I remember when I was a director of missions, we took this very seriously in in our county, and we went out to try to reach unique, uh, unreached people groups. And praise God, uh, before I left, we were engaging over 30 unreached uh, people groups that weren't being engaged significantly uh, before. But uh, the only way we could do this was because of the International Mission Board. We partnered with missionaries that were already on field. Otherwise, we would have never been able to accomplish this task. There's so much work, so uh, much work for us to be about and, and to do. Well, what uh, I wanted to just give you some updated numbers from last year to kind of bring you up to speed on what the International Mission Board has been about. The total field personnel right now is uh, uh, over 3,600 that are presently on field. I also want to let you know this number's down, and it's because of needed uh, funds. 
the number of people groups that were engaged uh, last year by the IMB personnel were over 847. The number of believers overseas that came to Christ last year was over 77,605. Praise God. And also the pastors that were trained overseas last year was 18,428. And the churches planted, listen to this number, over 13,898 churches were planted uh, to the glory of God. And, uh, and this one deserves an, a praise to the Father. Baptisms overseas last year were 52,586. Let's give the Lord a hand uh, for, for that. I would just like us to, if you would, let's just take a moment. Let's pray for our missionaries that are on field. Just take a few moments to lift them up. Would you bow your heads? Father God, we do pray uh, that people give generously to this offering, that the gospel may continue to go forth to all the world. And Father, we pray for these missionaries that are, that are overseas, that, uh, that face practical struggles in their ministry assignments every day, Nav- from navigating uh, traffic to maintaining vehicles to getting into remote areas to enormous challenges that they'll face even today, God. God, just give them, be with them. Give them favor. Help them, Father, as they seek to advance the gospel, the good news to all the nations. And, and Father, we just pray for the diverse partners that will come their way from different nations and and U.S.-based agencies and the complexities that that come with that. God, just pray for unity and collaboration uh, that the gospel and that Jesus may be made known. And Father, we just pray uh, for missionaries as they struggle being away from home in in a foreign land with with little or no friends sometimes. And, And God, just be with them. May they feel your peace, your presence, and Father, may others just feel led here in the states to reach out and bless not only partner in prayer, uh, but in other ways as well. And God, we pray for church leaders and members of uh, uh, members across the U.S. that you would inspire uh, them to share the gospel in a more fervent uh, way, God, because of the the boldness of our IMB missionaries. And Father, God, just uh, thank you for a church that not only prays but goes as well. We love you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Brad and Brandy are going to come and share about the who and why in the Guatemala mission.
the who, the people of Santa Cecilia, Guatemala. I want to read Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It says, Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for them to reunion. The the moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave them this charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, go out and train everyone you meet near and far in the way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practices of all I have commanded you. I will be with you to do this day after day, right up to the end of the age. So while this passage was written for the disciples, it still applies to modern-day disciples. Uh, Someone needs to go and share the gospel so the whole world can hear it. So the video that we just showed shares some faces that we have built that we have and want to build relationships with. It's not just people that I grabbed off the internet. They're actual people that we see and when we go to Santa Cecilia. So the people, the relationships. We're going to share a couple little stories about the relationships that we have built in Santa Cecilia. So something I wanted to point out in the video, if you noticed, most of you guys know who Cindy is, but there was a, an older lady holding the face of a younger lady, and they were talking. If you know Cindy, she knows absolutely no Spanish. So I point that out because if you looked at Maggie's face, you could tell, even though she may not have understood what Cindy was saying, she knew what she was saying from from what was being spoken from her heart because you could see the tears in her eyes of what Cindy was trying to share with her. Um, so I say that because some people were like, well, I don't know this language or that, you know, I can't do this or that. I've been going for 15 years, and I still have to have a translator. So never put that. Let God use you wherever um, you feel like he's leading you. Um, some of the families we've met and, and just built relationships with, um, one is William. <clears throat> if you saw where we was doing the baptismal, uh, you saw Jackson. But there's another gentleman there named William. And we we built the, his house the third year of the, of the adoption of this village. And William, we just kept talking to him and talking to him because he worked at night so he could come help us during the day, help build his house. And so we kept talking with him, and Lynn had spoken with him. And finally, we're getting ready to step on the bus to come home to America. And I, I looked at Lynn and, and the translator, like, we need to talk to him one more time. So right there, as we're getting ready to step on the bus, um, we had the opportunity to lead William to Christ. And then this past year, we were able to um, baptize him. And that's another thing, too, about just making things complicated you know, we feel like sharing the gospel is complicated. Just doing the baptismal opened the eyes of that whole village of, of why we've been coming. Um, if they didn't know, they knew that day. And many of them told us, you know, that was amazing. And they were just experiencing what baptism was about. So William, and then there's another family name um, that we built the first house for. Uh, the first year we ever built a church. The second year we started building homes for the people there. And we met a family, and the man's name, they call him Jaco. That's his nickname. And have you guys ever done something for somebody and think, you know, do they appreciate it or is anything going to come out of that? You know, we all do that. We always wonder if, if what I'm doing is making a difference. Well, Jaco's son, Henry, every year comes to me and hangs out with me when we're there, and he wants to learn more. And, um, at the end of every trip, he's always give us a picture that he's drawn. He's a very good drawer. He gives us a picture of something he's drawn. Just And it just lets us know that, hey, we are making a difference. And then Jocko comes to us um, when he's home, uh, and he, he tells me that he wants to just sit down and talk so that he can learn English, and we can learn together. I'll learn Spanish, and he learns English. So um, that's pretty cool to see <clears throat> see the difference that you're making, even though it may take time to see that. Um, just to know that what you're doing is making an impact. A couple other relationships. Uh, Rosa um, has a family of, I think it's six children. One of her children are handicapped, and so she can't come out and you know spend time with us like most of the families do. Um, they kind of all gather around, and we meet, and we 
um, play and talk and everything, but she can't because she has to stay at home. So we try to make a point to go and um, just talk with her and pray with her and let her know that we're here and thinking about her. And she shares with us, you know, some of the things that she has difficulties with during the year um, and that she can't get out as much as she would like to. But um, it was a sweet relationship that we built with her and get to pray with her and um, communicate with her. So um, and then there's a little girl named Nati, and when we first met her, she was little, and she was kind of mean to the other kids, and um, the trip that William accepted Christ, she also accepted Christ, and I think Brittany uh, kind of helped her with that, and she just to see her growth um, from that, from who she was and then who she is now, and she kind of tries to like corral the kids together and um, is such a good leader in that and um, just to see her growth is awesome. Some of the other relationships um, Lillian and Miguel are kind of like the mayor of uh, the village that we're in and um, we get to spend time with them and um, just talk with them and Milbia is uh, one of the church leaders. She kind of heads up the children's department if you want to call it that (laughs) Um, but she does an awesome job with that and she um, leads them in Bible school and um, uh, each Sunday they have class and just to see the growth that has come from uh, when we started or when we built the church and they started until now, they have um, a lot of children that come and she gets to teach them and lead them and just to see her being able to lead the children. Um, Eddie was a a young man that Brad got to share the gospel with uh, while we were down there last year in a a different village. Um, So we got to spend time with him. Uh, Lily is the lady that we uh, got to build a relationship with by building her house for... um, her children. And then Jose Luis's uh, family has just become our family. And um, it's neat to see that relationship grow and watch the kids grow and be able to um, hopefully help them out some as well. So the relationships, the people, and then the why give to mission work in Santa Cecilia, Guatemala. So the mission work that uh, we do allows us to build the relationships that we just talked about. Um, so it gives us a, pro, a close proximity to to work with them and able to build those relationships. And it gives us a way into their lives. So people ask, well, why don't you just pay people to build a house? Well, we could do that, and but we miss that relationship. We miss that um, getting to know them, and we miss that getting to share um, with them in their lives and with them about Christ. So this is just an avenue to be able to share the gospel with them. So the first year, as I mentioned, we we started by building a church. So you kind of want to let them know why you're there. We're here to share the gospel. And the foundation of that is the church. So the first year we build the church. And um, I point that out because Brandy mentioned Miguel and Lily, who are the mayor, the, the chief of the village. For three years, Miguel never spoke to us. And when the year we built the church, the church is literally across the street from his house. And when I mean across the street, I'm talking about from here to the front row here is the width of the road. And um, he just he just sat there and watched the whole time. He never come across the street because what he was wanting to do, he was wanting to see if what we were preaching is the way we were living. And so that's a good uh, example of, of the gospel, of just being able to, to watch somebody and see, all right, this is what they're saying, but are they living it? And um. Now we're just a close family with them. They always invite us to our home. They actually, they're kind of the host house for our our two weeks there. They make sure we have what we need. They lead us in the right direction. Um, Miguel's even come to me sometimes like, hey, I think I can get you some block cheaper. You know, they watch out for the finances that they know we're putting into that to that area. They want us to make sure, they want to make sure that we're spending it wisely um, in the best of our ability. So that's a relationship that's uh extremely important i mean if you can imagine you know you're going into a community and you're you're now friends with the persons over that community it helps out a whole lot oh and on the church uh brandy talked about the kids ministry so it's grown to like 30 to 35 kids and they have bible study every night so uh, mabia has a, a big undertaking but with that growth comes the adult growth so um, we met with them two years ago, sat down and said, hey, what are some issues, some struggles that you have in your church? And we, we talked about it, just had open discussion time. And, um, 
man, before we even got back home, they were already implementing these these things that we had talked about. And last year when we were there, they are actually knocking out the back wall of the church and extending it 15 feet um, to make the church bigger to host the, the people that are coming now. Um, some of the other things that um, your support helps us to do the mission work in is, you know, we've built um, Jocko's house and Rosa's house. Um, we also, one year, um, Shannon Annis went with us, and her passion right then was... Um, uh, recycle and reduce and so we kind of did some planters for each family so we went around to each family and um, gave them some items to start their garden uh, so and then talked to them about some place we could re- recycle and use and be able to plant food so they could make food and then eat um, so we got to go around and do that and to see the growth from that you know years later some people are not um as excited about gardening, but some people were. And so to see their gardens grow um, over the years is pretty neat. Um, so we, through education, um, which was the sponsorship that you guys help out with, um, through soccer tournaments, um, and then through building other um, homes, is some of the ways that we use the support that you give us through our mission work. So every dime that you guys give as an offering doesn't go to anyone that's going on the trip. We're just the messengers. Um, the inv- individuals you saw in the video, those are some of the people that are getting the, the, the benefit of the funds that you donate um, to this offering. So we just want to be obedient in that and, and make sure it's used in the best um, way possible. Um, the, the soccer tournament, we use outreach. And so a lot of times the men are never there during the week. You you never see any men because they're gone to work. Um, basically, down there, you work all day for $2 a day. But if you wanted to go to work and back on a bus, it's going to cost you $3 a day. So you're going to go in the hole. So they'll work for two, three weeks, even months at a time away from their families to make as so much money as possible and then come back home. So we only see these these men and these young men on Saturday evenings and Sunday. So Sunday's when we try to do the soccer tournament, do an outreach, um, and we present the gospel to them and let them know that, you know, they're our leaders. There's young kids that are watching them, and they need to be set an example, and the best example for them to follow is the example of Christ. Um, and in that, we, we try to feed the community, um, do a community-wide fiesta, I guess, with food. And for some reason, they want to eat American food that day, and the only thing we come up with is a sandwich, but they love to have a sandwich um, because they're used to tortillas and cheese. So past couple of years, we've just went out and bought bread and made sandwiches, and they love it. So it's, you know, we think of lunch like, oh, I don't want another sandwich, but um, they like it. So these are just some of the people and then uh, some of the mission work that you guys support and some of the things that we do in Guatemala. I'm going to give you a couple more of the Lottie Moon quotes, and then um, I, I want to I want us to think about as we get ready to do an invitation. What kind of legacy should uh, we try and leave for Lottie Moon and and for missions work across the world? What kind of legacy should uh, should we try and help leave for the village in Guatemala? Lonnie Moon once said this, I would I had a thousand lives that I might give them to China. She was a well-educated southern lady who became poor for the gospel's sake. She once wrote this, surely there can be no deeper joy than that of saving souls. If you've never been part of that in your own life, I want to remind you that we did a series of focus on who's your one and asking you to make commitments for the end of the year to share the gospel with someone. If, you, if you've never done that, if you've never won someone, you don't understand the joy that, that Lottie was talking about in her life. Or that Jesus said, I've got, I've got food to eat you don't know anything about. When he had led this lady at the well to, uh, to faith in, in, in him. Um, what kind of legacy are we going to leave there? 
And what are we going to be willing to do ourselves, willing to give? One last quote that she wrote goes right along with our scripture text. Lottie wrote this quote, The harvest is very great and the laborers oh so few. Why does the Southern Baptist Church lag behind in this great work? So let me ask you, will we lag behind? Or will we, inspired by her legacy, continue her legacy and send whatever funds we can to support missions across the world? Or will we go ourselves, go to Guatemala? God got on my case. I'd already been thinking about it. He got on my case in the first service today, and I had to go up and tell Brad and Brandy afterwards, hey, I'm going to go to Guatemala this year. Maybe you need to pray about that. Maybe you need to go this year also. Here's the invitation today. John's going to come up and sing like normal. As we have this invitation, number one, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, and you feel somehow, even through the service, even though it's been a different focus today, that he's drawing you to himself, then I, I want you to come look for me during this invitation song. And we'll spend time after the service if we need to to talk to you more about the gospel, what it means to trust Christ the Savior. But my main challenge in the invitation today is this. I encourage everybody to make some kind of move. Come sit a little bit closer. Come kneel here at the front and pray and, and ask God, God, what is it do you want me to give to the Christmas offering this year? God, maybe how many meals can I do without? Lottie Moon starved. <laughs> that others might hear. How many meals can I do without, you know, to help that others might hear the gospel? And pray not just how much you might give, but pray whether you need to go during this invitation time. John, if you would come. And Father, we pray that you speak to our hearts now. Help us to be honest and transparent before you as we kneel, as we pray, and we ask you to give us an amount that we should give to the Christmas offering this year. Father, we also pray that you deal with the hearts about going, whether it be here locally to share the gospel with those we know we need to share the gospel with, or Father, whether it be going to Guatemala. Father, we pray you just help us that we'll listen to you, that we'll pray, and we'll ask for your answers. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.